Hey Rockstar, thank you so much for pressing play on this episode of Confidently in Charge. I am your host, Allison KT, and I help people-pleasing entrepreneurs find their backbone. We have got a great conversation with an entrepreneur who's been there and done it. I am so excited to share this story with you today. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Confidently in Charge. I am so excited to have Dior Vargas here. Uh, By the way of a formal introduction to start off, Dior is a mental health activist, and she has over 10 years of advocacy experience. She also has a master's in public health from NYU. And a couple of years ago, you might have seen her incredible People of Color and Mental Illness photo project that uh, kind of took off on the internet and went, went pretty viral. Um, she's been featured in the New York Times, Forbes, Jezebel, USA Today, MTV News, so many cool um, publications and has worked with numerous Ivy League schools, top name companies, and even the Biden-Harris presidential campaign, um, and just has a wealth of knowledge around mental health, um, public health, brings in the really cool aspect of um, representation, and just is a really cool individual. So I'm so excited to have this conversation, and welcome to the show, Dior. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, so tell us about the work you do. How did this begin? Um, Where did this start for you? Yeah, I think that my mental health journey started when I was in high school. Uh, I, for quite a while, I had been going through some mental health issues. And it wasn't until high school when I decided to just really figure out what was going on, going online, trying to learn more about what I was feeling. And so that was a really interesting period where things started to make sense. Uh, And then I started going to therapy when I was in college. So I had been an activist for many years, but it wasn't until after grad school that I started to focus on mental health as uh, a topic that I would focus on for my advocacy uh, because I had been going through a lot. I uh, I was hospitalized in a psychiatric ward after my first year in college. And so that was also an eye opener for me. So various experiences just led me to feeling like I needed to have a more active role in my mental health to advocate for myself. And also just to learn more about it because there's just so much stigma in general, but even more so in uh, the BIPOC community. So I basically just started learning more about mental health, started volunteering with organizations. And from there, I just kind of wanted to get the lay of the land. I felt like the more knowledge I had about it, the more equipped and confident I would feel about calling myself a mental health activist. So uh, I started the photo project in the fall of 2014, because through my research, uh, which was basically Google, uh, I noticed that when you would enter the terms like mental health, mental illness, depression, anxiety, uh, the photos that would come up on Google were very distressing. People looked miserable. They looked like they were going through so much. And while that is valid, it makes it seem like that's their experience 24 seven. And so I felt like that wasn't a really good representation. And besides that, 
the photos being in black and white. So it just didn't look like a realistic representation or portrayal of having a mental illness. And then the other thing that really started the project or was the impetus for that was seeing that a lot of the images were of white individuals and also of white women. And while I do have light skin privilege, I did not see people who looked like me, but even more so people who looked like my community uh, and BIPOC in general. So I just decided that I wanted to tackle that because looking back when I was younger, I felt that it was only an issue that I had to deal with that no one else was going through it. And perhaps in any form, if I had seen someone who was part of a uh, BIPOC community, maybe I would have felt less alone. Maybe I would have felt that there is there are other people that are going through this. Uh, so yeah, I think that's basically what started the photo project. I got a lot of media attention, which led to speaking engagements. So I've been doing speaking engagements since September, 2015. And I've been able to travel around the country and meet a lot of people. And so it's been a really awesome experience and one that I did not expect at all. I just thought it was gonna be a photo project, start some conversations, but I'm very glad that this is what uh, came up as a result. Yeah, and really brought that attention um, that you were talking about, kind of that that representation not being there. Um, wow, thank you so much for you know sharing openly. This is mental health is definitely a conversation that comes up here on on the podcast, um, and just the the self leadership of of that advocacy that you're talking about of like hey, I'm not doing well. I need to take some time. I need to heal. I need to figure out what's going on and kind of taking that like, okay, yeah, there's so much stigma and like the world tells me like, oh, you know, everybody just gets over it and it's fine. And to really say for yourself, like, no, I really need some guidance here. Um, that's so powerful. And then to take that work and just say like, how can I make these conversations that aren't happening, how can I, how can I help them happen? Um, and giving people that space to be seen um, and to feel not so alone. So I have kind of a two-part question um, to follow up because I imagine that having those conversations has to be fairly nerve wracking, like going in as the leader and saying like, hey, nobody's talking about this, but I'm gonna create the space because it's important. Um, how do you find that that personal strength to facilitate or create space for for people to to talk about their experiences and, and process? Yeah, I'm I'm coming from a place uh, with lived experience, and I think that often when it comes to mental health, it can be very much focused on like a medical model, like only going to mental health professionals and experts that have an MSW, uh, who are uh, PhD individuals, those that have that kind of clinical experience. And while there is amazing parts to it and it's completely valid, I think it can get very dry and not as, um, I don't know how to say it, but it, it just is not as humanizing as I would like it to be. And so coming from a place where I have gone through this. I know exactly what you're going through. It may not be very much the same experience, but 
overall, I've been in places where I've been completely distraught and feeling like there was no res resolution to what I was feeling and just feeling really, really sad. So I think coming from that standpoint can be really helpful. And I think that's why that kind of gives me that strength where it's like, I want to be a representative. I do want people to see that even though you do have a mental illness, that that isn't a death sentence, that it's not a guarantee that you won't be able to accomplish anything. And often having a mental illness, there's while it may be hard, I think there's so many great things about it. You know, it, it just gives you a sense of empathy and compassion. And so I think when it comes to the media, it just puts this really negative spin on it. And there are so many people with mental illness who are doing amazing things and are really uh, living awesome lives. So just focusing on how I've been able to work with people, get to know them, just creating those relationships is really what sustains this work. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That I hadn't really thought of it that way. Um, but I love that you talk about like, um, cause full, full disclosure. I also, um, was inpatient hospitalized for a time and then did like a partial hospitalization program afterward. Um, and yeah, there's like a, a big difference between like going in and talking to your psychiatrist about your experiences with like a medication or with anything that comes up versus like sitting in a group of other people who are having that experience and talking about like, oh yeah, I, you know, took this medication and it gave me these wild brain zaps and having people be like, oh my gosh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And like, just that, that shared camaraderie of like, wow, I'm not alone in this. So those sound like such powerful, um, spaces to create for people to have that level of just like compassion for each other and compassion for themselves. Um, and, you know, you may have already kind of answered this as we're talking about this, but, you know, a lot of people, they have passions or they think like, oh, this is a good idea. I should create these, these spaces to, you know, have conversations or something like that. Um, or, or they think like, oh, you know, this is how I want to serve the world. And sometimes we let those things die away. Um, it gets hard. It gets overwhelming. Um, but you remain, you know, so committed to this work in a big way. I know that you also, you know, kind of work full time in a similar space, but not quite exactly this activism work. So how do you find the drive to, you know, continue devoting time to this passion while also kind of balancing the rest of your life? Yeah, I, a lot, the work that I do, it is creating those spaces where people feel seen and you humanize their experiences. And I think it's rare for those spaces to exist. And so because of that, I think that's really part of the drive. Also, I don't know, but I feel like growing up, I just felt this sense of needing to do something, wanting to be something bigger than myself. Because while it was a very individual experience, as I grew older, I learned that it's a very collective one and it's also community-based. And I just wanted to be part of something bigger than myself and just feeling like I was contributing to society. and. I remember seeing this quote about like the activism is the rent you pay to live on this earth. And I'm just very much like, I, I need to leave something behind. 
and uh, kind of have a, a legacy. And I feel like when it came to uh, people before me and my family, I feel like they probably, maybe they didn't leave something in the same way that I would like to. Definitely children. And I'm, I'm not even sure I might have children. And also, even if you do have children, it's not for you to live off of them. And so I want to be able to just feel like I made a difference in the world. And just being able to hear feedback from individuals and saying, no one uh, has come to my campus to talk about this and I could relate to everything that you said. That just really uh, makes me feel awesome. Mm -hmm. And I love to be able to amplify others' voices because often people say that some people don't have a voice but everyone has a voice. It's just that they're often silenced. And I just wanna be able to create that space where they can express themselves because while I focus on BIPOC in general, I'm only coming from a Latinx experience. So I definitely wanna be able to give space for others to talk about their unique experiences uh, when it comes to race and other things like that. Mm -hmm. I have, and, and to go off, off direction for just a second, cause I'm curious about that. Like, and, and even, you know, anyone else who's listening, who's coming from like a perspective of not being in that community, like how, in terms of like creating that safe space, do you have any quick things to keep in mind of like, you know, helping someone feel heard? Um, I feel like sitting in that space with them, uh, whether it's virtual or in person, also really practicing those listening skills, like looking at them directly, nodding, acknowledging what they're saying, validating them, empathizing with them. I think those are really key things that one should practice when you're creating those safe spaces. And also just making them feel like they can express themselves in whatever they, whatever way they want. But also if they don't feel like they can, that that's okay too. There's no sense of forcing that individual. I think everyone is in different areas of their recovery and mental health story. And so there's no rush everyone's experience is different. And so they, I feel like my photo project is there whenever they are ready. And the work that I'm doing in general is whenever they do feel like they can be part of that story and be more open about their journey and really address that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, yeah. Cause you know, you want to be in those conversations. You want to be a safe person, safe listener. So I hear a lot of that, like listening skills, don't, don't force, don't like control the situation. Just be a friend, just be a compassionate listener, compassionate ear. Um, yeah. It doesn't have to be any different than like engaging in any kind of conversation. Like, you know, it doesn't, we, we don't have to make it this big, like, oh, I have to, you know, say the right thing or do the right thing. Like sometimes coming to it from that, like, hey, we're just talking and like normalizing the experience of, you know, having days where things aren't great and having days where things are really great and having days where things are so great, you're questioning how great they are. And like, just kind of giving, giving space to all of those experiences. Um, yeah. Is there anything you wish people realized more about mental health? That it's not necessarily a negative thing that it does come with its struggles. 
also that we all have mental health and that's something that only some people experience and that it's a huge part of your life and it impacts everything that you do, your job, relationships, just your overall quality of life. And so really take that on as an issue that you should care about. It's, we all have at least one person in our lives, loved ones that are dealing with a mental health issue. And so we should take it upon ourselves to have some sort of involvement and practicing some form of advocacy for that individual. Mm -hmm. And something that came to mind, we were talking about that question earlier about creating those safe spaces. I know often that people who aren't part of specific communities often don't know what to say. They're unsure. They don't want to say the wrong thing. And I think that's completely valid. I think what's most important is to say at least something. And it could even be like, I don't know what to say here, but I acknowledge what you're going through and what's going on. And, and I mean, pretty much that's it because I feel like often when people don't say anything, there's a sense of like not caring and a sense of indifference. And so while it can be very hard to figure out what to say, as long as you say something and it's coming from the heart and it's uh, genuine, I think that's the best way to start. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. Speaking from the heart, treating people like people. I love that you said like we all have mental health, like maybe not everyone has an assortment of chemical imbalances and things that like add up to like a mental illness in air quotes, but like mental health is a thing that everybody deals with. And like, there's just, just that awareness of in the corporate space, like taking time off, taking time away or um, with family, like just needing a second to, to collect your thoughts. I think that's, that's so true that mental health is an experience that, that everyone has. And thank you for adding to, to learn how to, how to be um, safe for these conversations. Um, something else I want to ask that we talked about previously, um, we haven't discussed it on the show yet, um, is this idea of like responsibility. Because um, you spoke about, uh, you know, wanting to leave a legacy and have a big impact and everything. And I think um, initially when we were having this conversation, um, when the concept of responsibility came up, my brain immediately went like, oh, yeah, that feels like a chore or like a nagging duty. Like, I think sometimes we see responsibility that way. Um, but I loved this other perspective that you shared about kind of your approach to that responsibility. Um, so what's your, your relationship with this work as, as your responsibility? Yes, I know we were talking about that and how it does have that uh, negative connotation initially and it's like a burden and it's something that you have to do. And I view it as a way where it's like, it's my responsibility in a positive way where it's like, I need to take this on. This is something that I wanna focus on that can help people. Like there's there can be this sense of strength that you feel when it's like, this is my responsibility. and when you're able to start fulfilling those responsibilities, I think it can be really fulfilling. And it also benefits your mental health. When you volunteer, when you do activism, that is good for your mental health. Uh, and in terms of going back to that legacy, uh, and <laughs> I feel like when I was talking about my family and not, I didn't wanna be disparaging towards them. I think for me, my family has created this 
space and created a legacy of strength and resilience. And so I think that's what has really pushed me to continue this work. I definitely wanna make them proud. And so while you may not necessarily leave something tangible, the relationships you have uh, can mean so many things and can really make a difference and can lead to so many accomplishments and changes. And there are different definitions of success. Or so I don't know, I just wanted to go back and, and acknowledge that part of my statement. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I think that's so that's so true because like it might not be, you know, this person does an immediate thing, but like you mentioned before, you know, with like children, like, and yes, our children are not our legacy and like not everything wrapped in, but you know, maybe a cousin or a niece who's not even born yet will someday be like, oh yeah, I remember like Auntie Dior always made me feel really safe to talk about that. And like, she starts a nonprofit that impacts millions of people. And it's like, there's such a, like, it's, it's generational. It's the ancestral, like you're doing this deeper healing and creating these spaces. And um, yeah, yeah, that's beautiful that like, not everybody leaves, you know, a foundation or like millions of dollars or, you know, Pulitzer awards, like, but we all leave a really powerful legacy through the relationships um, that we have. Oh, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to ask, because uh, you've, you've, you know, mentioned that you have experiences with, with mental illness and thinking about your mental health and everything. So, um, you know, do you have go-to like activities that you enjoy for like kind of keeping your mental health in check um, and like keeping aware of it or um do you have suggestions for how people kind of find those for themselves? I imagine it's a, an individual thing too, but um, what are your kind of comments there? I like to go outside, especially with COVID. I think we've been very much sequestered in our apartments and our houses and spaces. And so I like to be able to go outside and just maybe have the sun on my face, or if let's say it's raining, also to just appreciate nature in whatever way it comes. And I also, so taking walks, long walks in the park, I think it also gives me that sense of good solitude and a way for me to really think through pretty much anything. Uh, Naps are always awesome. Taking breaks and that can look, that could happen in different ways, but just giving you that space to maybe remove yourself from your computer and have a glass of water, but acknowledging that that's what you deserve. Cause I think often we are very hard on ourselves. I know I'm very hard on myself and sometimes we don't think we're worthy of self-care. And I grew up just feeling like, oh, it's silly to take care of yourself. And it's weird for me to, to say that now because I'm like, how ridiculous is that? Like, how dare I, I don't know, deprive myself of, love and uh, compassion, but I'm still having issues with that where very often I'll have more compassion for others than myself, but I think it's a a lifelong process. And so much like what I'm trying to do, it's good for for people to not be so hard on themselves. Mm, That's beautiful advice. Yeah. Like there's like, yeah, it's back to that understanding of like days bring different experiences and different feelings and different moods and all of that. And like, yeah, sometimes that reset of like a nap or 
going out and getting some perspective of like, oh yeah, there are trees, there are birds, there's water flowing. Like I'm not an island like I feel like, or, um, you know, having that, that space. I love that kind of like safe solitude space of like, okay, I'm choosing to be alone to look in, to figure out um, what I need for this. So beautiful. Well, before we wrap up, I always love, um, cause we do talk about like leadership on the show and, and self-leadership and being in charge of life and business and all of those things. Um, and I really see leadership as being like the actions that we take for ourselves every day and the, the, the non-negotiables that we have. So, um, they may be similar to your mental health day activities. Um, but do you have any non-negotiables in your day that you, you know, always want to make sure you get to? Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I initially was thinking about at least once connecting with someone, be it over the phone, video call, or just text. I think that's really important for me because I live on my own. And so I love to be able to be alone with myself. And I actually enjoy being with myself, which I think is really, really important, but just to be able to connect with other people. And also I'm constantly pushing myself to make plans with people, reaching out, asking, what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> so I think to be able to still connect with people uh, can is really really helpful for me and so I would say yeah that's a non-negotiable yeah, non-negotiable make sure you're talking to other people connecting I love that that's as a as a pretty social person I understand I that was part of the reason I started the the podcast actually was like during quarantine I was I was like I just want to have conversations and like my spouse and I you know we have pretty good conversations but we only talk about so much and I'm like I want to just have these powerful conversations because yeah connection is such a gift um so how can folks connect with you or learn more about your work um you know if people have groups to speak to or anything like that like how can we find you or who do you kind of work with yes so you can definitely go on my website DiorVargas.com. i'm on twitter at Dior Vargas. Instagram, Dior underscore Vargas. I wasn't able to get my name before another person did. Uh, and I work with organizations, colleges, universities, corporations, just to help them advocate for their, themselves. Because I think that was huge in my recovery that I could know that I was deserving of taking care of myself. And so there is this sense of strength and power when you know how to advocate for yourself and you know what you need. And that's kind of a non-negotiable too. So yeah, I'm actively seeking more opportunities to be able to do that and to help people feel like they can take care of themselves and advocate for themselves and also others. Amazing. Yeah, that sounds awesome. That's such, such powerful spaces to create. Um, do you have any closing comments or anything um, you'd like to leave off with? Um, so while therapy isn't always accessible, I think that it's something that everyone should try at least once. I think it's a place where you can really learn about yourself, have that sense of self-reflection. I think we're all deserving of that to really go through what we've been through, figure out how things in the past do affect us now to this day. Uh, so for me, that's a really helpful form of self-care. 
I, in the past I've, I've talked uh, to different people and one part of it was, what are we waiting for? What are, why are we waiting to take care of ourselves, to love ourselves, to not focus on our mental health? Like, <laughs> uh, not to seem like negative, but like time is ticking and you don't wanna look back on your life and think, what kind of quality of life could I have led? And I feel that way about my family because there's so many of them that if they had that access or knew about those mental health resources or weren't bombarded by stigma, I think what kind of lives could they have lived? Um, and so I, I want that for other people. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yes. Therapy. Oh, such a game changer just to like give that space and that gift to yourself of like, Hey, let's process, let's mm -hmm. figure out what's going on. And yeah. Um, I've definitely had folks in my life as well, where there was the stigma of like, Oh no, he's just kind of a down person. That's just how he is. And it's like, life doesn't have to be that way. Like there can be, there can be healing. There can be like, yes, it's fine. If you're, you know, not the most energetically upbeat person, but at least acknowledging and saying like, Hey, is there, you know, a deeper, deeper something going on here and giving space to look at that. Yeah. So powerful. Well, Dior, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Um, I will definitely include all of the links for folks to uh, find you and your incredible work. Um, so thank you so much and everyone, we will catch you next time.